So what's up everybody and welcome to the huddle where we discuss how to maintain Ford progress in your flooring installation career. I'm Paul Stewart and I'm joined today by Daniel and Jose of Preferred Flooring as usual. Yes. Uh, today we're going to con conduct a, a little different type of huddle and it's meant to kind of hit where the rubber meets the road and that is um, money. Oh, looks like we got to join. Hey, we got video. Hey, guys, I can see your pretty oh, face. I'm <laughs> doing anything else. Yeah, let me turn this a little bit that way so you can see the pretty. My, my handy dandy ear scratcher out too. Okay, good thing we didn't catch on that. So um, what we're talking about today is how to, how to avoid payment mistakes. So mistakes in receiving payments. And what I'm talking about and what this has come from is talking to several different subs across the nation and also reading through some Facebook uh, forum complaints about getting paid. Um, I wanted to discuss some of the common mistakes from an installer standpoint, what you can do to protect yourself, A, and B, what to do when you don't get paid. So first off is, is <clears throat> quality has to be there, guys. I'm sorry, but you cannot expect people to pay you top dollar for work if you're not giving them top dollar uh, quality. Or so a dollar that, period. what's that? It's an over a dollar period, uh, you know, yeah. Just you got it done and, and you you didn't have top dollar and it doesn't mean you're gonna get paid anything if the customer's not happy if the client's not happy yeah so first off do quality work i don't know how else to say it if you if you are deficient in skill you need to get the training necessary to up your skill level don't jump into things uh this is another common problem i found in kind of researching for this episode is Guys are jumping into systems or new processes of flooring, new, new things that they have not received training on. If you've only ever done 12 by 24 being the largest format ceramic tile you've ever done, don't jump in and accept projects where it's a two foot by five foot tile or three, you know, three foot by five foot panel, gauged porcelain panels get the dang training first, make sure you know what you're doing. Now, one thing, look, you might accept it in the jobs several months down the road and you can get the training in between accepting a job that has that and, and actually doing that. That's fine, but you have to have the training uh, for systems that you've not done before or been properly trained on. So I have found guys you know they'll even admit it if you read through some of the the results of the of of what 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 the guys say say in a facebook forum post of well yeah it wasn't perfect but okay well you already told me why you didn't get paid yeah. right when you say <laughs> that yeah i mean you already know it that means you're you're calling that good and you're walking away yeah you're saying but we already know 
just by that comment that there's there's some deficiencies on the installation quality right and there, there's a lot of guys that post on there too well, not just guys but there's a lot of people that post on there too about you know taking pictures of other people's work and then you know putting them down and stuff like that and i just i always chime in and they probably got what they paid for and yeah i mean when you don't know how to how to price your stuff it's because you probably don't really know what you're doing with it anyways oh what goes into it yeah the, yeah that's the another good that's a good time and labor uh, that goes into it good point daniel because if you're asking how much it should cost to install a flooring you probably shouldn't be installing that flooring if you if you if you don't have enough experience to know what your costs are going to be and then and then mark that up or you know make sure you're making a profit you probably shouldn't be installing that flooring Right. And then you said, you know, you mentioned training when you don't know how to, to work with a certain material. And, you know, sometimes you're not going to make that training. Right. But we've spent many, many hours in the warehouse with the new material, playing with it out there, trying to see what can go wrong with it before we actually go on a job site and install it. I mean, we got a sh whole shower system in our bathroom over here at the office that I'm not going to go and put this in someone's house when I don't know how it's going to react with stuff. Yeah. This is, this is a first. Yeah. Well, if you're already highly trained, you're already very proficient at most flooring. That's a good method right there is at least get the, the experience with it. Put your hands on it, mess around with it, do it, you know, experiment with it when money's not on the line. Uh, that's, that's a form of training yourself once you've got your foundation of knowledge built and your your foundation of installation uh, training, you know, done, then you can use that method of messing with the flooring, um, messing with different adhesives, whatever the situation is. So a number one on this subject is make sure you know what you're doing and you do good quality work. That is then you have a lot of tools at your disposal if someone's just not paying you. Uh, so quality first, guys. Second, try to do work with good people. Like vet the people you're doing business with. Uh, if you're working for a shop, make sure it's a good shop. Uh, in the Go Career Network, we only uh, onboard companies that have great reputations for taking care of their their installation uh, professionals. So um, if you're working outside, that's fine. My point is do some, do some research, make sure the company you're working for uh, has a good history of payment, uh, a good history of paying their subs on time and a good history of taking care of their install professionals. So um, that that's the next point I would make. And um, you know, another thing is make sure it's in writing. Uh, a work order, um, you know, obviously GoCareer is a digital uh, platform that the work orders are all mutually agreed upon. They're all signed off and, and digital contracts, so to speak. But if you're not using that, at least make sure you have some form of a contract or a written proposal that's signed off and accepted so that you have documentation of what you have agreed upon from what you're going to provide and that matches what they're paying. You, you have to have that. 
once you, do you guys have any, I mean, do you, handshake deals are tough to do, right? Like what's your guys' input on that? Shouldn't we have, if you don't have a contract, if you're, if you're working with a GC and that GC sends you a contract, that's, that's, that's one thing, but say you're working with a flooring company and uh, like a store or something, is there a work order or something that they're giving you that lays out what you're supposed to do? And then the, the, the price for that. Um, that's 101, so, right? Yeah, it, we have, we have people that we've worked with for 20 years, right? Like I've known for 20 years. Um, we have, we still have email trails and uh, agreements between that as a relationship as, as the handshake, is almost a thing of the past. I'm not even going to lie. Like if it's between you putting yourself in a bad spot or your friend or someone else putting themselves in a position to lose their 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 job, their career, or that, that other company put themselves in a bad position, they're gonna throw you under the bus no matter who it is. Um, we've been fortunate to work with some people who are still not like that, right? But we, we meet in the middle. Something goes wrong, we meet in the middle and we're okay with that. Um, a lot of the beginning of the contracts for those guys are verbal or with a handshake, but then the process is still started where we have email trail and documentation and signatures and approvals. We still have all that. There's very- And all, all that was a kind of learned in the beginning, getting burned, right? Because oh, yeah. you, you, don't, you go into it not knowing exactly how to do things. And then it's like, it becomes a, a he said, she said type of thing where it's like, well, I never gave you approval for that. I was literally on the phone with you and you said, do this. And then when you don't have things written down, set in stone, uh, you know, email me back and let me know that this yeah. is approved. You know, you, you have to have that paper trail, even if you don't have a contract signed or a work order or something's missing from the work order. You got to yeah. have that, that kind of communication communication written down so that way you can refer to it later yeah you gotta have something you gotta have something that that in my opinion like best practice is making sure that you have this is the scope this is what i'm doing and then this is the cost for that anything in excess of this is and and we know some of those variables so for example if you put a quote together and you send it to a customer or the uh, someone sends you a work order and you're you're evaluating that work order from a store you know the variables you know that like make sure that say if you're doing a resilient floor skim coating's not on your work order make sure that it's clear i skim coating will be additional you know or something of that nature it's really just protecting yourself make the scope of work match the price before you move forward, whether that's an email, some, some way of, of having reference back. I read a lot of posts. I went through a lot of old stuff in Facebook to look through. And a lot of it's like, oh, I did this extra work and they don't want to pay me for it. Well, I mean, make sure you have written documentation proving that it's an added cost that is not part of the original work order and you you have at least that first piece of protection on yourself almost everybody's got a camera now so i mean we like games we learned the hard way right we learned the hard way 
a couple of times working with the same company, thinking that things weren't going to happen the same way. We, and you know, after the, the second time, we took a very big hit. To us at that time was a very big hit. And that was it. That made we, so that we, we have some clients the same way in the, in the flooring company where um, we'd done work with them for many a years. And it was, it was typically on change order work. If we didn't document it right, it was it was hell getting paid, and sometimes we didn't. We had we went through the same thing, and that's why I'm here is to try to. And you guys are here. We're just trying to um, uh, bring up our experiences and hopefully prevent some new guys from really taking hits like that because some of those can take you out of business. Yeah. I mean, some of them can put you in the in the old bankruptcy column, and it's important to to document, have some, some paper trail of some sort. Um, you know, I, I try not to plug go career every time I'm on a, a, one of the huddles, but the fact is, is having an equitable system to where here's the offer you accept the offer as is, and then it gets awarded. That's an equitable system. Also, if I have a change order that I, I want you guys to do, I have to send it through the system and you have to approve, you have to accept it or vice versa. The, the installer has additional work. They have to submit a change order to the company and then the company has to accept it. Just don't do the work till it's accepted. Uh, the, if you're doing paper, that's fine as well. But if you do more work than what's on the original agreed upon uh, amount, get something in writing i don't even if you write it on notebook paper and get the customer to sign it anything is better than nothing uh the key is to really have an equitable agreement and if it's if it's agreed upon and you did a good quality job and then they don't want to pay now we can talk about some tools that the you know legal ways of uh you know, putting yourself in a good position to be able to uh, collect that money. Now, whether that's a homeowner or a, a business and some of these things that we'll talk about, you got to, you have to make a business decision. Uh, one of them obviously is mechanics liens. They're very easy to file. Um, the problem is, is if you do a ton of work for that particular client, do you really want to lean their property, right? Uh, what does that do for your long-term relationship? So I would say first step is have a, a calm, professional conversation with the person and ask what your deficiencies are and what it will take for you to for them to release payment to you. Um, another good method, uh, just to digress a minute or a, a, just a, a second here is, you know, getting money down on work is also if it's a new client, even in commercial, a lot of times if it's a new client and it's a smaller client, we'll ask for 50% down. And we get that probably good 60, 70% of the time they'll agree to that. And we just explain to them that you're a brand new client. We've never worked with you before. We need to have some security in this position. So That's um, exactly what we've been doing. There's, there's, there's nothing wrong with it. There's no shame right. in it. Especially right? in the in the commercial world, you get a bunch of companies that that are bidding all over the U.S. and then they reach out to you from, you know, New York or something, and they're like, "Hey, 
we want you to do this job. All right, well, here's my numbers and I'm going to need 50% up front. And if they say no right off the bat, it's like, sounds like uh, you should probably go elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. I'll usually have a conversation with them and explain to them why. And then if they have the same stance, like we don't do that, I say, well, we don't do that either. <laughs> you know, I mean, you, we don't do business with new clients out of state uh, on a on a Buffalo Wild Wings to <laughs> we're not going to just jump in and expend resources and, and money with no guarantee. And um, a lot of times they'll agree. They'll understand. Uh, and if you're working with a good company, they get it. Um, so that that goes into, you know, you guys have experience with uh, placing liens. Have you guys done that in the past? We no, have not. Pretty close recently, but we, we have not exercised that. Because you only have a certain window. Yeah. Yeah. So the rules to that is nine, if, and it, this varies per state. So I just got back from Utah to get our contractor's license in Utah because we got some work up there. Uh, in Utah, for example, you have to uh, file for your, like at the very beginning of a job within, uh, I believe it's 30 days of starting the job, you have to file uh, that you have lien rights, basically. So you're filing that you have an equitable position in that project. That's not a lien. It's not an intent to lien or anything. It's just putting it on a directory that you are one of the people working on that project that, and you expect to be paid for the work that you're doing. That um, in most states, and please look at your local lien uh, rights, engage an attorney. This, I'm not giving uh, you know attorney advice. I'm not an attorney. I can just speak from my experience. Uh, and we work all over the nation. So I know uh, one thing for sure, it varies per state. Lien rights are a state uh, a, a state mandate or a state ordinance. Mm -hmm. It's not a federal thing. So, but most of them, one of the most common things is you must file a lien within 90 days of the last work performed. So the last time you are on the job performing work, you have to file a lien within 90 days. And that's pretty, that's pretty, um, pretty sticky, isn't it? When you're doing commercial work. Right. Yeah. And then I, we went through, um, I think it was our local chamber had someone do a presentation on uh, liens and we were on there and they said that, you know, here you actually have to file an intent to lien before you can actually file a lien. Yeah, and that's the same way in Oregon. In fact, we're we're um, we have our license up in Oregon. In Oregon, you have to file a notice of intent to lien. Yes, that's what it's called. Right, and that you have to file that within a certain time frame, and then if if it doesn't get taken care of within a certain time frame, you have to actually file the lien. Now. What is filing a lien entail is it's typically in most states pretty easy to do. The, the idea is that they want to protect the workers to not get shafted on payments, but um, it does have time frames. So you have to do you have to be cognizant of the time frames to do that. 
And mechanics liens actually can force a property into foreclosure. So most times it's going to get taken care of at the notice of intent to lien level. But you just have to know what these timeframes are for your state and make sure that you're abiding by those rules. Yeah. Now, if you have an open punch list item or you did poor workmanship and they can prove that, they're going to win. I mean, the bottom line is you got you to make sure you get step one and two done first. You got to be, be a professional in that particular flooring product uh, or discipline, say ceramic, carpet, hardwood, or resilient. Um, and then, then you have something to stand on. You got to build a good foundation, which is doing good quality work. After that, you do good work, turn in your billings, and you're not getting paid. Uh, these are just some, some methods to, to help you get paid. Now, from a general standpoint, I'm always going to call the customer first and try to figure out what the deficiency is of why they're not be why they're not paying me. And I even if they tell me, well, they have not been paid um, from in commercial, there's a lot of this, which is I haven't been paid from the owner yet. Right. <clears throat> and and most commercial contracts in most states allow pay when paid or pay if paid clauses in the contract you are then when you execute that contract you're agreeing that i i understand that the contracts abil contractor's ability to pay me is dependent upon their ability to get paid from the owner right that's a that's okay uh, we do it all the time. And usually it's like within five to seven days of them receiving money from the owner. The, the key here is that a lot of GCs will tell you, oh, I haven't been paid yet. Just ask them the one question if they have been paid. And if they say they have not, ask them if you can call the architect or owner. And I typically do it in a very friendly way by saying, hey, if some subcontractor pressure would help you uh, get paid, I'm happy to make a phone call to the to the owner and and let them know that I want paid as well. And it shows them that I'm willing to take the next step. I'm willing to make that phone call to the architect or to the owner really and ask. Yeah, I want to know like where the money's at, and why it hasn't been yeah. released. So I'm willing to make that phone call to the owner. Sorry. What's that? Sorry. Daniel's trying to technology right now. <laughs> so, you know, making the phone call to um, or, or offering to make that phone call lets them know that you're willing to continue on the collection process. And when that happens, that usually releases the money pretty fast. <laughs> now, if they really haven't been paid, I have had contractors say, yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Um, and then I send an email or make a phone call to the owner and I say, hey, this is Paul Stewart. I'm with Stewart Associates. Uh, I'm working on XYZ project. And, and uh, I just want you to know we, we're owed money on this job and we don't want to elevate this to the next level. But we need to be uh, we need our position covered, the money that we've expended. We need to be paid for our, our work. I don't even care if it's a progress payment, you know. At some point, you can't wait forever to get paid. It costs money to borrow money. 
right? And that cost is going up every month. I mean, the Fed just raised the, the interest rates another uh, 75 basis points. So, you know, if you're borrowing money when you to, to cover your, your receivables, like you, you have to do a lot of times when you're in commercial, um, you know, realize that cost is there and uh, you can't wait forever for it. So any other dirty tricks of the trade that you guys have used to kind of relieve payment when an owner or, or someone is kind of being tough? I don't say really dirty. I mean, we're just very upfront, very transparent. Um, you know, a lot of the conversations that we have are upfront to avoid that. We we do have that uh, documentation. We do have those conversations upfront because it's a lot more uncomfortable to have them when that time of need is there. So we we make sure that 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 is part of the front end instead of worrying about it on the back end now. And a lot of that is because of what we've what, been through. What we've been through. It's just it doesn't take me any <clears throat> any time to to, to I would honestly speak my mind because I'm, I'm really laid back about it, right? It's just a casual conversation. You bring it up. You say, hey, these are my concerns. Do we have to um, document this? Do we have any concerns with these finances? And, you know, it, it's really an upfront conversation to avoid it at the end. Well, well that and um, lately what has worked is um, I just contact them and say, hey, this is you know, this late, I'm getting ready to send it to collections, I'm giving you a, you know, one last chance before I do. And I mean, when, once I, I, just a few weeks ago, I sent, you know, yeah. something out that said that, and we were paid within like two hours. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, so it depends on who you're working with, but there are, there's plenty of instances out there where they want, people want you to collect. Um, I had a really old receivable one time. <clears throat> it just kind of slipped through the, the cracks and it wasn't for a huge amount, but I collected and they were like, you're calling to collect on this five months later. And I'm like, well, you knew you owed it. <laughs> right. I did the work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't, I just, there's no limitation there. I mean, I did, I provided you a service just because I didn't call and collect all heavy on you doesn't mean that you don't pay me. You could have just paid me and this call would have never happened. Oh, well, slip through the cracks or whatever. So I think that up front, it's impressive. You guys haven't ever uh, really leaned. Now I'd say over 20 some years, we've leaned probably a handful of times is all. And um, some of those were just letters of intent. Um, even though Kansas doesn't require you to do a, a letter of intent to lean, um, we we can send that anyway, right? That's still a good practice. Like, hey, we're owed this amount. And this is just putting you on notice that we intend to lean this project if we don't get paid within and we'll put a time frame to it. That works. And we do, you know, 300 to 400 projects a year to only have leaned, you know, a handful or less of times is, uh, I think, Lessons get learned fast, just like you guys said. I learned from early days of not getting paid. Um, you learn quick when your pocketbook gets hit hard. Um, so doing the first few steps uh, correctly, being 
providing good service, good quality, and then following up, making sure your contract, whatever that means, work order, handwritten, yeah. whatever, that that's in place, email, however you go about that, that you got some written documentation to back you up. And then, you know, you won't get there very often. But I, I'm, I am surprised on the Facebook forums and different forums you look at how often this comes up. Now, I will say this is more of a homeowner thing that I've noticed on the from the social media post stuff. Um, I don't deal with homeowners that often. And when I do, there's usually a professional that's involved, meaning <clears throat> an architect or a designer I'm working with on the job. Um, but direct with homeowner retail type stuff, I don't do. So I don't have the experience there, but I can tell you there's all, it's always in your best interest to make sure you have clear work directions as far as what the project entails and that you have a price associated with that scope. Yeah. I don't care whether you're doing a homeowner's house or a commercial project, you know, a $4 million commercial flooring project, either way, clear scope what's the cost, what's the clear exclusions, and then a good practice of making sure that any changes that come about are documented and equitable or, or agreed upon. Yeah, and it's just like the 50% um, down for the, the, the residential, the homeowners. Like, I don't think we've touched a residential project without having that ever. Yeah, I think I, think I, would, I would, that would be my everyday practice now homeowners have gotten burned too uh yes. there's plenty of of examples um of just, just go on your local facebook groups though and, and search for for contractor a bunch of them probably come up about how people just take the money and run yeah yeah so the, they have reason to be skittish over the 50 percent thing um Look, building your reputation and your business uh, is the best uh, part to that. You got, I don't blame a homeowner for not wanting to give 50% down if you've been in business for six months and you have no references, you have no reputation. You got to kind of understand their side. That's the struggle of being a new business. So um, I don't know that there's a great way around that. Um, I know that I have heard some guys will say, upon delivery of materials, I need, they break it down to where there's a schedule of values. That's what we call it in commercial. But if you do that for your homeowner, like this is the cost of your materials with my markup, cost of your labor with my markup for each line item. Like maybe it's your, your bathroom tile, this amount, your labor is this amount. And then in your kitchen, it's your materials are this amount and your labor is this amount. And then when you get your materials, you can bill them uh, for those materials and recognize your profit at that point for uh, the material. And then as you finish your labor, you bill on a percentage basis to that homeowner. Right. Um, Danny Sherman on uh, Facebook just said that he's learned it's harder to get a deposit on labor only. But when supplying material, they always make sure that at least the material is paid for up front. So that way you're not hit, you know, floating that material cost. And that, that's a valid, that's a valid point right there. Right. Too. Because you, I mean, technically you haven't done any labor on that project anyway. So why bill for the labor? But 
I mean, I guess it all depends on how much labor is actually going to be involved too and how much, you know, that ratio of material to labor is. Yeah, if you're doing materials and labor, which I, I mean, if you're working direct with a homeowner, um, hopefully you're able to supply some materials for the job, if not all. Uh, I would recommend that you put your profit, put profit on that material. Uh, that profit will help pay for some of the labor as you perform the job. So don't just cover your raw cost of, of the material. So if it costs you $500 in, in material, don't bill them 500, you know, bill them 580 or whatever it is so that you can have some profit to then cover some of your, your labor costs, whether it's yourself and, and having a little bit of money to pay yourself while you're doing the work, or if you have helpers, you're able to, or other installer uh, professionals then you have some some profit that can help pay them while you're doing the labor. Right. And uh, Rollins says that he gets 50% on all of his jobs, like across the board. So, I mean, it's all on know who you're dealing with, right? Now, doing your research and stuff like we mentioned, you know, in the beginning, it's know who you're dealing with. That way, you know what they're comfortable with as well. And then, I mean, especially when you don't know them, that's when you really got to be like, all right, this is, this is what the way things need to be. Don't let them talk you out of that because usually that's when the times you do get burned is when you're like, all right, I'll do it this time. And then it's like, shouldn't have did it this time. We've, yeah. We've been, hindsight, this. hindsight on that's 2020 for sure. Yeah. The, the, the other thing I'd point out is that a couple of the, the people who have commented are known for quality. Right. So if you know who you are, you, you can have some real confidence and that you execute well, you can have real confidence in asking for the 50 percent. Um, if a homeowner's a little bit on a homeowner's side of things, if they're a little reluctant and you have a great reputation and you can provide with some references and things like that, they're going to be more apt to, uh, you know, come off that 50 percent down. Or paying for the materials upon delivery some way. You don't want to get so deep into a project where you've got material, labor, all this oh, expenditure no. and and no money coming in. Been there, done that. And, and that's all like, uh, you know, back when the beginning stages, when it was a handshake. Yeah, of course. You know, and then you start investing your own money, a lot more time than you need to. And you're not getting compensated yet. You, you do start getting nervous. Right. But it's trial and error once you start getting there and you keep going and maybe maybe we didn't reach out and ask enough people information maybe you know we didn't know enough people that were in that position of trying to grow a business to ask them how did they operate um, yeah we learned a lot of things on our own well anytime you want to know something i mean reach out like um these guys been doing floor covering projects for a long time I'm happy to uh, talk to any anybody new in the business uh, that that's trying to figure some things out and ways to to uh, you know protect yourself. I would also say that non-payment is one thing. I mean, it even kind of blows to have to uh, forgive my uh, English there, but it does. It it sucks to have to wait for a homeowner to get the draw from their bank and then process it and then cut you a check. I mean, 
even waiting on money costs money. And that's why I say, make sure you got some profit in your materials. I do know there's plenty of guys that just cover that like the homeowner wants their receipt and then they want to just pay the receipt. Well, make sure you're not dealing with those homeowners. I mean, let the, no offense to anyone, but let the scrubs do that work, I guess. I don't know how else to say it. The bottom line is you have to be profitable. If a homeowner doesn't understand that you're going to have profit, you had to drive your truck or your van or your, 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 your vehicle to go operating pick up materials. Yeah, yeah there's, time. there's time and effort in getting those materials picked up and taken to the homeowner's house. There has to be some money coming in to do that. And then, you know, like, I don't know why construction in general is that way. I think it's because the, uh, the consumer has been burned, so they they have a, a bit of a, a reluctancy probably is part of it. Um, but there again, I think that's building your reputation up to where they feel comfortable with you because they know you're going to execute and they know you're a good, solid company. Uh, they'll be more apt to pay you if you're if you're in that position. We're pretty fortunate to deal with a lot of people like that. Um, I know we've been around for a little bit, uh, but you when you start attracting that certain demographic you it makes it easier because the word of mouth travels so so fast and you know we we appreciate all, all the the word of mouth that, that we've received for, for the amount of work that we have now have you guys in the past we're getting close to the the end of this but i i thought i'd ask have you in the past like had somebody that is reluctant to give you the down or you know, process the payment and then you give them references and they find out that you're a good company and, and come off of that? Um, yeah, we actually just had that with uh, a very large job, actually. Um, and they, well, we never do that. And our contract is, says this. And I'm like, well, in mine, it says this. So like, I, I understand you want me to follow what your guidelines say, but I also have to protect myself and my company, right? And if if we can't meet eye to eye on this, then I'm sorry, I, I'm just gonna move on and you're gonna move on. Um, and I think the job went away for a while and a month later, we got a phone call back like, we're ready. Yeah. And I'm like, I gotta, I gotta redo my proposal guys, right. things have changed. And it, I, I think there's been you know, more than just that. Sometimes they, they call us and then you give them a price and then they keep on looking around and they're, we don't even give them references. They just call other companies. And then every single other company they talk to, oh, this is what's going on. You should call these guys. Yeah. And, and it, you know, your reputation is good when you're calling other companies around here and they send you back to us. So it's yeah. like, I, I guess. Well, that's a great position. My only yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's was, a really was, good position to be in. A little odd, it was an odd phone call to say the least, but I got a little bit of a forewarning because the other installer, one of them actually called me and said, hey, they called me. I said, no way, call Jose. And he, he prepped me for it. And when they called, I didn't use it to my advantage, right? I just, normal conversation, normal project, normal opportunity. We made the best of it. So it looks like a question came through. Uh, how do I go about making a contract to make sure I start getting deals in writing? What are the most important things to put in my contract? I, I'm not an attorney. 
I've read millions of contracts, maybe not millions, but thousands for sure. Uh, I would say get with an attorney, get a standard form contract. If you did want to write your own, you can get with the AIA, which is the uh, American Institute of Architects, and, and kind of go through their contract and pick and choose the stuff you like because the legality of their language in that contract is going to be accurate. And you can kind of copy and paste some of the things that you like, leave the things out that you don't. But as far as what's the most important to put in my contract, listen, it can go as deep as detailed as you want. But the two most important things, in my opinion, is scope and price. So yeah. what is the scope? What are you providing? And then what is the cost to provide that scope and making it clear in the contract that this price is for this scope? So that that would be the probably the most important things to make sure if you get an attorney to write it up, it's worth the investment, probably cost you five or 600 bucks, a couple hours of an attorney's time for them to write a custom contract for you to give to your homeowner, to your GCs, to whatever. If you're a flooring company, um, you a lot of times we, we provide a contract to our GCs. Uh, we have for when we work with our subcontractors, we have a master subcontract agreement that they sign. And that master subcontract agreement covers all the particulars that come across in a commercial project. So it's really, that's going to be really detailed to your uh, specific business and how you like to operate. But the two points that obviously I you can't do without is the scope and the money. Yeah. Right. And then make sure you, you start listing your exclusions too, because well, I think we, we list the exclusions and then in there too, it also says that if it's not listed on this proposal, it's not included. Because yeah. Good point. There, there's a lot of times where people are like, well, I thought this was included. Well, no, it's not. We try to try to make it so that way everybody can read it. Right. Like um, there, there's a lot of uh, legal uh, verbiage that, that gets tossed around, but when we have the, the template, and then we customize it by what's excluded because of a walkthrough, because of what we talked about on the phone. So we, we try to put those smaller details in there so it isn't so broad in the terms, but it does Yeah, say that's a good there. point, Jose. Like if you are gonna create a contract, you I, I would say don't make it so doggone complicated that they need a law degree to read it. Tell right. your you know, so it, it does depend on your business. I mean, I get contracts, for, especially on like our government work. You know, I'll read through it and it'll be that thick. Yeah. Uh, but I, a lot of times will just send it to the attorney to, to want over the thing as well. So, but if you're providing contracts to homeowners or you're providing contracts to, you know, general contractors, um, scope money and very good point guys exclusions so you're telling them what's in it and you're telling them what specifically is not in it right. um and so. the other thing is you know just kind of going over the basics right make sure there's an expiration date on there danny just said that his uh estimates are were good for 30 days <laughs> it's hard to even hold that right now I know, right? Um, make sure there's an expiration date on it and make sure that you have your payment terms in there because when they don't know when they're supposed to pay you, then that's kind of when people will say, well, it slipped my mind. It fell through the cracks. Well, you knew as soon as I turned it in that, you know, payments due on receipt or there's a net 50 
you know, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. When I say money, I mean all things money, payment terms. So that's good. Good point. I'm glad Danny brought that up is like, is it net 10 net due upon receipt, whatever that is, uh, just make it clear what you're expecting uh, from money uh, from your, from your client. Um, and then obviously again, the scope and the exclusions um, it's hard. It, it's hard to get out of it at that point. You know what I mean? You did, you did a good job. Uh, most, most people, if you have a contract structured in that way, again, get with an attorney. If you need a contract, that's what I would recommend. Um, none of us here claiming to be attorneys. We just read contracts quite a bit. So we kind of understand them. Um, I would say, you know, those two things, uh, those few things we just discussed are, are most important. And then, right. you know, it's a good, good place work. to start and, and you're, you're always going to be tweaking it, right? You're going to go through something just like anything else. And you're going to be like, Ooh, if that was in there, I probably wouldn't have had to go through this. So let me include that in everything. And, you know, some of what's in there isn't going to apply to every customer, but you still keep it in there. That way you're not tailoring every single time even though you are tweaking you don't want to have things tailored you want to be streamlined with what you're putting in there too ours ours has evolved so much and it's simple right it's not long it's simple well there we go uh i know that um this has been a problem for a lot of installers a lot of uh flooring companies so i hope you guys found value in the conversation today with the guys um We've been through it. We've lost money, both of us. I know uh, we've made some adjustments. Hopefully this helps you to understand. One thing I would say, don't think that, oh, I'm too small to, to start doing this. This is one of those deals that, number one, it'll make you, um, it, you're setting yourself up to be bigger by doing it early operate like you're bigger than you are. So don't think you're too small to have contracts. Like, you could be a one-man show. If you're doing homeowner work, I'd be having a contract. It's a good investment. So with that, uh, thanks for joining us here on huddle number 10. Uh, Jose and Daniel, thank you guys again. I appreciate you. And um, for all those on Go Career Network, uh, we have some really exciting stuff coming down the pipe. So stay tuned. And, uh, and if you're not guys, on there, catch make sure you get stuff. your free installer profile set up because Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot great. of opportunity. So, so it's no risk. Cancel any time type deal. Get on, get your free profile. Uh, one feature that came out uh, that we've just not done a very good job of promoting uh, is the merchant account. If you're on the Go Career Network, you can invoice, uh, you can accept credit cards from anybody, from your side jobs, from your aunt, from your GCs. If if you got a GC that's like, hey, I ain't got the money, say, well, I'll accept credit cards. You cover the convenience fee of 4%. Boom. So it's a it's a financial tool that you're able to use just by being having a free profile on GoCareer. You can now accept credit cards. I mean, that's that's a, a huge value, I think. Um, that is huge. I mean, there, there's so many guys out there that are always asking questions, you know, who do you use? How do you implement that? And when you have it, you know, in your pocket and all you got to do is you know, punching some numbers, it's, it's just streamlines the whole process. Yeah. And it's super easy. I mean, we've processed, I had a guy, one of our installers, um, 
who does work on the GoCurrent network. Uh, but I hired him to paint the outside of our building. I didn't, it's a, it's not a job. So I didn't send him a GoCurrent work order, obviously, but he billed me right through the merchant account and I paid him with a credit card for it. So it comes in real handy. Um, we, we're going to do better at promoting the features and new features coming out. So um, be on the lookout. And I appreciate everybody. We'll catch you on next week's huddle. And thanks for the questions, comments. And uh, gentlemen, thank you again. Yeah, no problem. We'll see you guys uh, next week. Awesome. Oh, everybody, get down to CFI convention August 2nd. Well, that's where we're going to be next week. Yeah, I think we'll, we might even all be on the try and be on the same screen next week, huh? Yeah, we'll we'll all be together. So yeah, come down and see us. It's a it's a great event. Um, you'll learn a lot and you'll make a lot of good connections. So get down to the CFI convention. It's in Orlando, and uh, hell, it's beautiful down there. If nothing else, so hopefully uh, we'll get to meet some of you guys. And looking forward to that too. So with that, all right, I will chat with you guys later. All right. See ya. All right. Bye, guys.